Welcome to the Path Forward Utah. I'm Jamie Rinda, your host. Um, just want to talk about an incredible weekend in Washington County. We made a little trip to southern Utah this weekend. That's a little bit part of your neck of the woods, is it not, Brian? Of course, not anymore. Brian is now an Idahoan. So do you miss southern Utah? <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, so first I'm going to start out with a little bit of the controversy that led into this wonderful event that took place. So the controversy started, Lisa Sandberg, who is the Washington County Chair, had uh, promised and was excited to have Candace Owens in as a speaker to this incredible event and had nurtured this relationship for almost a year on uh, getting uh, Candace in to be a speaker. And so I'm just going to paint a little bit of picture for you and then tell you how lemonade was made out of lemons on this. And um, and so about three weeks out uh, of this event, I guess Candace's handler had not really informed Candace, Candace of this, even though it was promoted on her website and everything. But I can only imagine that Candace stays extremely busy. She's a new mother. She has her own uh, television program now with the Daily Wire and... Uh, and a, and a ton of speaking engagements and is running um, a pretty major platform of Blexit. So anyway, she's a busy woman and, uh, and has an incredible message out there. So about three weeks out, I guess they realized there was a conflict and had some problems, especially being a new mother and nursing. And, and uh, so Candace canceled and uh, Lisa had a sold out packed event based on Candace speaking. So long story short, <laughs> some things happened in this conversation. I'm trying to accommodate uh, uh, Candace, and uh, I think Lisa in, uh, you know, I can understand Lisa's perspective on this. Uh, it was a little frustrated. I mean, all these people were coming to support this event because of their love for Candace and excitement to have her there felt like she had a contract. There was not a contract that was actually signed, but felt like there was a contract, sought some legal help, and an attorney say, yeah, it's actually binding, but kind of threw this out there. And um, anyway, conversations, you know, once you throw in that uh, you sought legal, you know, counsel, I think conversations ended. And uh, so they quickly had to, uh, get Dennis Prager and Will went in conversations. It seemed like, you know, that was over. And the newspaper article the day before, or a couple of days before the event ran this article um, that was very negative towards Candace Owens. Uh, Candace Owens responded quite harshly and, uh, and the war was on. <laughs> and so anyway, uh, could have turned out disastrous. Uh, I reached out to some people at, at Blexit and uh, to see if we could get Candace and Lisa to have a personal conversation. We were able to manage that. They did have that personal conversation in which a resolution, you know, they came to a resolution. They, they never had that personal conversation 
directly and uh, in which they were able to work things out and in which Candace came on a telephone call during this event and said she was going to make a free appearance, not necessarily free to the people of Washington County, but free to um, uh, the party of Washington County. They're not going to, she wasn't going to charge a speaking engagement fee. <clears throat> and uh, uh, on July 24th. So anyway, um, Candace is a classy lady. Everything worked out beautifully for Lisa. The event turned out incredible. And so, but part of me was like, you know, if we as Republicans can't work out something that was a miscommunication like this, we're in trouble. <laughs> and and so I just want to put that out there that um, that we all have to be careful that we have to we have to be willing to have those conversations when a misunderstanding happens. We have to be willing to pick up the phone and clarify is this you know is this what was intended and and why did you know and I kind of felt like you know in that newspaper article, Lisa did kind of throw Candace under the bus and didn't have to tell quote the whole truth that we don't always have to elaborate exactly what happened or what we feel happened and all stories have two sides perspective is everything so sometimes we can just simply tell a shortened version of our truth especially when it's on our own team so we have to be careful that we don't um, intentionally throw people under the bus that are on our own side and but more importantly is that we have to learn to problem solve and resolve these conflicts and because if we can't resolve conflicts within our own party and within people who are on our own team we're never going to be able to resolve the bigger conflicts that are ahead of us so i was very happy to see that this conflict was resolved and that we had an absolutely incredible event last saturday night and Dennis Prager was an incredible speaker. Will Witt was also pretty good. Um, Will Witt's message was uh, clever, and uh, and I think he does a great job reaching out to the millennial generation, to this college group. But Dennis Prager is a seasoned speaker. He's got life lessons behind him, and um, he just offered an incredible amount of wisdom in in his message to us on Saturday night. So I just want to talk a little bit about what Dennis Prager had to offer uh, on Saturday night. And specifically, you know, he talked a lot about religion, not about, well, and I wish I'd recorded and taken better notes, but I'm just going to give you some highlights of things that connected with me. Because he, he talked about his religion and that how when he's out speaking, everybody says, well, why aren't you Roman Catholic or why aren't you LDS or why aren't you this or why, why are you a Reformed Jew versus this Jew? And, and he said, you know, I have problems with my faith. He says, my, you know, that my faith that I believe in is not perfect. And he said, but. I've chosen that a a religious life, a spiritual life, is a more enriched life. He's, uh, well, first of all, I'm going to backtrack. He started out with Nietzsche's quote that God is dead and how the left has interpreted that as this great thing, that he was declaring that God is dead as a a a victory. And that's not what he was doing. He was declaring that God is dead. And because of that, that this something else is going to fill its place. And what has filled the place of God 
in the areas in which God has been dead has been secularism. And so Dennis Prager just mentioned that secularism does not give us a richer life and that spirituality and religious experiences and that community connection gives us a, a more richer life. Even when the faith in which we're part of may not be perfect and they're filled with imperfections and that every faith is, but that community, that common bond uh, gives us a richer life. And so I appreciated both the perspective that that having the community of common believers and having that belief system, even with its imperfections, gives us a richer life. And he said, he kind of made a joke, which I felt was kind of funny <laughs> because of being an LDS. He said, you know, he goes, I don't worry about, you know, which church is the true church. He says, I know y'all do. <laughs> he, and, but uh, he says, I feel any church that makes us God fearing good people is the true church. And uh, which I think there's so much reality to that. Any church that can help make us uh, more Christ-like, uh, that w helps us look inward and ask what we can do to become better people, to give more, to give service to others, to enrich the world around us, and to be kind, and to have a higher purpose in life, and to give us the courage to do what's necessary in our families, in our communities, in our country, in the world around us. Um, that's, that's the church that, uh, we need to be part of. And so anyway, I thought, I thought he had a lot of wisdom there. And then he, he goes on to talk about, uh, one, you know, Candace was supposed to speak and it was Juneteenth, uh, day. And he talks about the left. And so he talked about his appreciation of Juneteenth and, and, um, how the liberation, it was under a, Republican president that black Americans were liberated. And then he goes on to talk about the different victories and the, and the liberation and the things that have happened that have been positive for black Americans and the things that have been negative and pointed out as I have oftentimes on this podcast and throughout my life, that the policies that left have been horrendous on black Americans and, um, they may seem and they may articulate the virtue signaling of caring and but the their policies are are not and have not been uplifting to black Americans. And but he goes on to take it a step further that they have not been uplifting to Jewish Americans. And now you know that uh, the left has now came after Christians and Protestants. And then he went on to say, because most of the audience was LDS that the LDS faith is not inoculated by from the left either, and that the left is coming in for the LDS faith as well, which we already see that in the state of Utah. Um, he took it one step further on the fact that the left does not build anything, that the left only destroys and takes down, um, <clears throat> and listed one thing after another that the left has destroyed. And um, so we, we've got to have our eyes opened to what's going on in the world around us. And another thing, he, he distinguished 
quite clearly the difference between liberal and left, and there is a big difference. And so he had a questionnaire of what discerns someone who is liberal from someone who is left. Um, And that's something that's going to be more of a national narrative. But we're starting to see that. You're starting to even see it in in comedy right now. And some of your late-night hosts are starting to come out and say enough is enough with the left. Now, they may be canceled, um, but you're starting to see a little bit of pushback uh, from the liberals uh, to the left. So it used to be kind of conservative to the left, but the liberals are finding themselves being squeezed out in this fight as well. And so this is now becoming a fight between the liberals and the left. And so the liberal... um, People who are of liberal mindset and philosophy are really going to have to take this battle and challenge those on the left uh, because I think they're starting to realize, no, it's not just conservatives who are being shut down and canceled. It is people who have a liberal philosophy and believe in free speech and that are now starting to... uh, to question this extreme left position. So anyway, Dennis Prager was absolutely incredible on that. I'm going to, one more thing that that Dennis Prager uh, was talking about, the difference between an optimist and a pessimist. And he's often asked, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And he said, it doesn't matter. He said, the reason being is that if you are an optimist, you think, oh, everything's good, and uh, so there's no reason for me to get out there and and do my part and to get involved in what's going on. If you're a pessimist, then you think, oh, the world's going to hell anyway, so there's no reason for me to get out there. And so if you're either one of those, you don't get out there and you do and do your part. And so his... His push on that was that we all have a part to play in making our world a better place and making sure that good policies are being uh, manifested and that good people are being elected. And uh, so we can't be naive to what's going on in the world around us at a local level, at a state level, and a national level. And uh, that we need to be woke to what is, I hate using that word because that is one that's kind of got... taken over by the, the left, too. But we have to be um, aware of what is going on, especially in our, our school boards. That's one of the ones that we've probably really neglected, our local leadership and our school boards. So we, as on the path forward, Utah, we are, have talked about uh, going back to the very local sources. We're first starting with ourselves and our families, but then with our local communities, our city councils, our county commissions, and uh, with our local school boards, and uh, with our state legislative branches, and as we we correct the things most local to us, and and make those as healthy as we can make them, then our nation itself will become healthier. And uh, so, anyway, Dennis Prager did a fantastic job. Uh, Candace came on partway through Dennis's speech and by phone and announced that, uh, again, that she would be here on July 24th. Uh, she's coming to, uh, uh, to Provo for some event on July 23rd. Um, I'm not for sure if that's a public event or a private fundraising event, 
but uh, she'll be in for a public event in St. George. And from my understanding, it's going to be like a dessert type event that will cost like $35 a person to go see Candace uh, in St. George. If you want to go see Candace on July 24th, that's Pioneer Day, which is kind of a fun day um, that evening uh, to go see Candace in St. George, uh, Utah. So uh, she came on and uh, anyway, again, the, the place was absolutely packed, sold out, uh, They couldn't have turned out to be a better, more uplifting event Uh, in southern Utah. A group of us went down uh, from northern Utah and rented this uh, Airbnb, the big uh, big house, and all stayed there together. And it was just really a a wonderful weekend. I had a great time together. And so as we move forward, um, we just, again, have to uh, focus in first with ourselves and then with our, our local communities, with our state house, Senate, you know, what's going on in our state legislative branches. But we've got to be, be careful that we do so. Um, I mean, there's going to be times we have to be tough, but uh, we want to do so respectfully, uh, but with a, with a strong message and a persuasive message. I know one of the issues that uh, I've mentioned that we're working on and probably will be one of our top issues is the one that uh, was labeled last year to have a different bill title this year, but HB 92, uh, to protect uh, the youth of our state uh, on transgendering uh, with transgender medication and surgeries. That, um, and it's one is the right thing to do, and it's just something that we have to do to protect our youth. Um, they don't have the cognitive mindsets to be able to make these type of decisions. And as a parent, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's not, that's not very conservative as a parent because we believe in parents' rights to do the best thing for their kids. This is a life-altering, permanent decision. And I remember one of my children, well, actually I actually had two children that were diagnosed with a mental disorder, one with ADHD and another one with bipolar. Then it turned out neither one of them had that. Um, my one child with bipolar that I ended up uh, taking the doctor's uh, information. Now, at this time, I had a husband in Afghanistan. We were going through some stressful times. This child was going through some stressful uh, situations at school. And um, anyway, basically deprived this child of four years' worth of um, their life because very drugged up. Again, I thought I was doing the best thing for my child and making this decision with the professional guidance that I was given, as it turned out, I did not do the best thing. I did the best thing with the knowledge I was given at the time, but I can't imagine um, making a, a decision and, and not saying that that decision that I made didn't have permanent consequences, because I know it did. It definitely impacted my child, even though uh, eventually you know, went off medication and, and is not bipolar and living a beautiful life, not that even if she, uh, they were bipolar, wouldn't be, you know, detrimental and still could be living a beautiful life. But it turns out that was not a proper diagnosis. Uh, and, um, and so another child with ADHD at this time, I learned a little bit better and I decided, you know, I'd let them have more, more impact and more 
decision making in that process and uh and he decided he didn't want to take any ADHD medication. And this was kind of the school pushing me on this that was declaring that my child had ADHD. And uh, in reality, he was just bored. And in uh, specifically in mathematics, he was bored. And so I uh, decided he was not going to take it because he did some research and it was going to stunt his growth. Um and so he ended up never taking any medication. We pulled him out and homeschooled him for a couple of years to kind of get him through that period of time um, and kind of maybe didn't even really homeschool him much because I thought I'd just slow his uh, kind of pulling back a couple of years as far as uh, academically so he wouldn't be bored when he went back in, but just to let him enjoy life and go skiing and, and doing some things with him and his brother. Um but again, a parent, even with the best medical advice, sometimes can make some really bad decisions. And so to me, this is a major decision that not even a parent using the best wisdom that they can use uh, can make that type of decision for a child uh, to change their gender. So that's something that, you know, I can only imagine uh, that would be a horrible position for anyone to be in to feel that they're in the wrong body. So I have great empathy. And as someone as an adult uh, makes that decision to transgender and medically change their body through hormones and through surgery, uh, I can only imagine that uh, that is a very, very tough call to make and there's no judgment on my part. However, a child should not be in that position to make that decision without that cognitive ability. So that's going to be one of the biggest issues that we're fighting on this year. And we'll be putting our attention to and really putting the pressure on our governor who has threatened to veto such a bill um, to be to sign it or veto it and hold him accountable. So, again, that's one of the, our local issues. And it's not just a local issue because that's something that's being faced all over our nation right now, which brings me up to another point that Dennis Prager brought up is a few years ago, he was uh, debating and he brought this up and I, uh, cause I always wonder why don't we have these debates anymore? Uh, yeah, where a liberal debates a conservative on these issues. And I guess it's cause no liberals will actually debate. So we've got to start making this a public uh, point on really challenging. I know Candace Owens is put out there to challenge people in debates, but somehow we've got to start having some public debates. So when I get back on the path for Utah, we'll talk a little bit more, uh, kind of close up this event um, that uh, took place. But Dennis Prager is an incredible person. Uh, I wish we could have saw Candace Owens, and I'll probably go back on the 24th to see Candace. Uh, but if you've never listened to Dennis Prager, he does these these uh, fireside chats that are absolutely incredible, but I've listened to him live now twice and he's absolutely incredible speaker. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity I had to be with good friends in a wonderful location and listening to this great man. So we'll be back in just a minute on the path forward, Utah. Make sure you check us out on the path Utah.com and also on the trumptator.com in just a minute. We'll be back. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the Path Forward to Tom. Jane Urenda, your host today. And just want to talk about a local store. This is something that as the group of us were together, we had just an incredible group that went down to southern Utah. And we had Greg Hughes join in with our group and Alan Bullock from Pro-Life Utah. We had just, you know, Jamie, Jamie and Amy who made the road trip together, which was fun. And, um, I mean, there's a, anyway, we had Lady Maga USA with us, uh, just a, a, there's quite a few others that, but, uh, just a wonderful group from this Northern Utah area that made the trip down to Southern Utah. So we brainstormed after, and there's a topic that got brought up on why, uh, Saunders is being moved from his position of, oh, I think he's like secretary of health. I'm trying to remember what his actual title is. Do you know if that's the, his title, Brian? Anyway, he's getting moved over to this new title and uh, somebody brought that up. Oh, I know who brought it up. Alina Erickson was there who also is just a rock star in my book. Alina has just been out there fighting this fight and, and uh, so Lena brought up is why is Saunders getting a second position or is he uh, no longer going to be over the health initiative or, and uh, so somebody said, well, I think it's a little bit more sinister than that and brought up about six months ago, I heard ABC news was doing a, a some research into um, some unethical issues of the Cox administration in the beginning of this pandemic and these no big contracts. And the reason this is even more important to me that as many of you might know, or I don't know if you do or not, I ran and was probably the biggest instigator of the ride in Huntsman campaign. And I pushed hard to get governor Huntsman to run. Uh, I ran articles in the paper with my Trump tater character, I we were on the side of the freedom, uh, freeway with the Trump tater. We we were on the news. Um, we were pushing for county commissioners and mayors, and we had a lot of people who were ready to endorse such an effort as soon as um, John Huntsman decided to run. But um, John Huntsman was waiting on one thing, and that was a report from. I always want to call him John, but Jim Dougal? Is it Jim, John, Jim Dougal? <laughs> I don't even know why. I always want to call him the wrong name, but was going to do a report on uh, an ethics complaint on these no-bid contracts. And so I assumed that uh, if they were waiting on this ethics report, that uh, Governor Huntsman's staff uh, had requested some uh, freedom of information uh, request uh, uh, or grandma request. Um, so we get closer to the date and everything. I didn't feel like that's how, why John Huntsman should write, run this write in campaign. I felt like he should run it because he was the best candidate uh, for the job. It was an unusual year. We didn't get to have a proper uh, caucus. We didn't have, and we still had Mitt Romney delegates in the caucus system uh, from two years prior to that. Everything was kind of shortchanged. It was an odd year. We were going to have a write-in uh, election. Huntsman had the notoriety. Uh, <clears throat> we had um, all the other governor candidates, and I don't know if this is public information, but I'll put it out there, that were going to actually endorse a write-in Huntsman effort. And um, 
he would have won. I have no doubt he would have won. And so anyway, the, as the time got closer uh, for a huntsman to have to make this decision to declare this, uh, still no report from Dougal <clears throat> on this corruption. And so I asked one of the staff, I said, well, what have y'all pulled up on this freedom of information request? And they said, well, we haven't requested anything. I'm thinking y'all are waiting on his entire decision to run uh, based on these ethics things that you think are out there and y'all haven't even requested uh, the documentation. And so anyway, I was a little bit taken back by that, but anyway, but about six months ago, I hear this uh, information from a friend of mine or a source of mine that said ABC channel, ABC four was doing an investigation on some corruption on this, the same, same thing that the Huntsman's had suspected and uh, some big stuff was coming out. But again, I hadn't heard anything. And uh, so recently the Salt Lake Tribune uh, finally came out with kind of the first of um, on this report. So I, I'll just start. It's on code diagnostic and uh, on test Utah. And this, this has dirty Mitt Romney's hands in on as well as Cox. Uh, so in the, so this was a no big contract. Um, and so it was in the very beginning parts of, um, this coronavirus. And so I, I'm going to read parts of it just so I don't mess it up and give you the wrong information. It says they initially plan to volunteer their business acumen to secure the coronavirus test. Now, really, I mean, how many businesses, I mean, I'm not sure. I, I shouldn't say how many, there's a lot of businesses that were very generous and wanted to do their part. But oftentimes we find that people who step forward and act like they're going to do something for nothing end up, um, that's not their intent. It says, and promote and perform testing. But it, but soon shifted to a more lucrative approach, claiming an initial $5 million in a no-bid state contracts for Naomi Health. Other Utah companies won subcontracts with Nomi. The test initiative landed by state leaders served as a springboard to win contracts in other states. Public health, health officials felt usurped almost immediately in Utah. Emails show within weeks, Nomi's decisions were under scrutiny. There were questions about both the accuracy of the test it chose from Utah's company Co-Diagnostics and the expertise of the community hospital that Nomi selected to process them. After just four months, health officials regained influence and forced Nomi to stop using both. And so on this, um, the, as they had to get a approval from the FDA and, uh, so there the health officials here questioned the accuracy of the test, did not feel the test were accurate. Uh, they approached the FDA, the FDA did not want to give approval because they did not feel the accuracy of the test were reliable. Senator Mitt Romney's office got involved to put pressure on a quick approval of these tests, and then as did Spencer Cox. Um, and so th this to me is twofold. One, um, if the tests were not reliable, if they were being told that they're not reliable, yet they're putting pressure on them, it's not only a financial 
situation where they're trying to help their buddy or their friend line their pockets financially. Uh, to me, there's a lot of liability involved if they're giving false, if they're trying to force the hand of the health department to approve a test that is going to put a lot of false uh, positives or negatives out there. They could put lives in jeopardy on this disease, this, this virus that's so dangerous and so deadly that they told us. And yet they're willing to push the hand of the FDA and of our health department on a test that's not accurate and manipulate the test in the hospital that we're doing it. It says now a continuing investigation offers a deeper look at the trajectory of the test Utah effort and specifically of co-diagnostics boosted by the pandemic. The small Salt Lake city company turned a profit in 2020 for the first time since it went public netting more than $42 million and surging past and enjoying a surging stock price. It also benefited from political influence of tech insiders who reached out to Senator Mitt Romney's office uh, for help gaining necessary approvals from federal regulators. These insiders also then reached out to Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox to prod state health officials. So Senator Romney reached out to the FDA and Spencer Cox basically put pressure on the state health officials to push this through, even though through emails and through verbal communications, they were both told this test was not effective, that there were a lot of flaws in it, and that they were hesitant on approving this. So we need to be posting on our social media, writing letters uh, to leaders, contacting Sean Reyes's office, our attorney general, and uh, contacting Spencer Cox's office, Mitt Romney's office, and making sure that we hold people accountable, which goes to my, my next issue. Are we ever going to see accountability for the elite? Is our criminal justice system just for the common people? It is because I'm starting to feel that that's really the case. I hate to be cynical, but we've seen time and time again over the last four years. I'm sure it's been going on a lot longer than that, but it's just becoming so blatantly obvious that uh, every once in a while they'll throw out a sacrificial lamb like Harvey Weinstein or something um, to show that uh, that the elite will be charged. But uh, as the most part, uh, the elite can get away with pedophilia. The elite can get away with abuse of women. The elite can get away with corruption, financial corruption. The elite can get away with everything that they tell us with driving gas-guzzling, sucking cars, having multiple homes that use energy, uh, flying their jets across the world or to uh, just for fun to go to dinner at another location to meet friends. All these things that they say is hard on our environment and uh, that we should drive or not even have cars at all. Um, I mean, there's the list goes on on what's allowed for the elite in our country and what's allowed for the rest of us. And so our criminal justice system is going the same direction, that that there's one standard for the elite and another standard for us. So will we see any accountability for Mitt Romney and Spencer Cox? 
because if this was a private company and not, uh, well, this is a private company, by the way, but they're friends of Spencer Cox and Mitt Romney. Uh, and perhaps, I mean, will if this company, will this company see any negative ramifications? And if the company does, will Spencer Cox and Mitt Romney see any? Because we have actually two categories here. We have the political elite and we have the business elite. Um, and they're a little different. I mean, we have the untouchables in our in our in our country. They not, may, they may not have the title of royalties behind them, but somehow they are royal, um, and they're treated as such. So I don't know. Uh, it, it's discouraging. I, I look at uh, on January sixth. Now there was no one more disappointed in what happened on January sixth than me. Because as soon as I saw it, I knew that the people who took action on January 6th, hurt our cause. I was frustrated with the people on January 6th because I knew they hurt our cause. However, I still look at it. They didn't go in with guns. Um, most of them had no criminal convictions of anything before. Um, a lot of them were let through the doors of uh, Congress um, by police officers and others who open the doors. Um, so there are, there are some that I feel like should be fully accountable and suffer some consequences for what happened on January 6th. But then I have to look in comparison to what happened for the last year and a half in our country with buildings burning, businesses being looted, people being harassed, caught police being pushed back and abused and hit and pushed. I mean, just... The, the list goes on on how many police officers have been injured through these riots, how many people have been killed. I think over 200 people uh, have lost their lives through the last year and a half through these riots. Uh, how many businesses have been destroyed through these riots? Uh, how many communities have been destroyed? The increase of homicide in these communities in which the riots, most of these communities where these riots have taken place have had an increase of almost a hundred percent increase in homicide. Um, yet the rate of accountability is, is practically nothing. I, I mean, they, they've almost let every one of these riot, uh, rioters go. Uh, I think out of all these thousands and thousands of people who have rioted all across America, there's only a, a fraction of a percent of these people who've had any accountability. And yet we have like 400 people still sitting in jail or prison uh, from the January 6th event being treated quite poorly. And we hear nothing on the news about them. Again, I'm not defenders of what they did. Uh, but I am going to defend their unfair treatment and question as um, as Tucker Carlson has what what did the FBI know? Were they involved in it? And why didn't the FBI uh, make sure that? Uh, and I think they did. I think the FBI did give Nancy Pelosi and them, but I just really question what coordinated effort was involved in, in this and letting it happen and letting it happen because it could have been stopped. The FBI knew they intentionally let January 6th happen. 
because they, the FBI had insiders in there working with these groups and they let it happen. They did not have security set up. Nancy Pelosi refused security, as did the mayor of D.C. They were the only two ones that had the authority to have additional security. And um, and so they allowed um, these frustrated Americans who had right to be frustrated uh, in a group mentality, which we often see people when they're in a high group uh, act in ways that they would not act otherwise, whether it's athletics or other events. And, um, and they... And somehow somebody communicated with Black Lives Matter and Antifa. So th this was highly communicated. This was not accidental. Every event I attended this summer and this past year, the two events I attended in Washington, D.C., there were a significant number of Black Lives Matter and Antifa at every event, harassing and uh, confronting uh, Trump supporters. And yet, magically, on January 6th, there's nobody out there? No, there were people out there. They were mixed in with the crowd, or they intentionally stayed away because they knew that there was something in the making. This was not an accident. The whole thing was communicated in some network and uh, this did not uh, just magically, you know, line up the way it did. Uh, there were there some effort and communication that took place uh, among people in the FBI with leadership in the Democratic Party that filtered down to leadership in the Black Lives Matter and leadership in Antifa. This whole concept that they are not an organization, Antifa, is a bunch of BS, that they are a loosely knit group of people. They may be a loosely knit group of people, but there's some type of network of communication that things get communicated through. And uh, because somehow everyone knew their role to play that day, not to show up or to show up and mix in, that communication got out there. Because as I mentioned before, there's not been an event, whether in the state of Utah or in D.C. or other places in which we have not had counter uh, protest or, you know, from Antifa or Black Lives Matter, especially in D.C. D.C., there's always been a major contingent of Antifa and Black Lives Matter to the point it's not even safe walking in the streets for in small numbers, if you are a Trump supporter, you get attacked in D.C. So this was not an accident um, that all of a sudden there's no Antifa or Black Lives Matter on January 6th. They were mixed in with the crowd or they were told to stay home and not to be there. And, uh, and there's no accident that Nancy Pelosi and the mayor of D.C. decided to add no additional security. Um, they knew what was going to take place and uh, allowed it to happen, not justifying the fact that some people were pawns and used in this to destroy the MAGA movement, but it happened. So anyway, back to what's going on in Utah. 
we need to put pressure because perhaps in the state of Utah, uh, again, we have, uh, I don't know about Sean Reyes. I would like to hope that Sean Reyes is an honorable person as our attorney general. I don't know what influence he can have, but uh, we need to put pressure on these no big contracts and, uh, and if they in the influence that Mitt Romney and Spencer Cox used to push a test through that could have and probably did put Utahns in danger um, by giving them the false illusion that they were negative or put them um, at a loss of income or loss of 10 days of their lives or perhaps their family's lives by giving them a positive test in which they had to then uh, quarantine for 10 days or 14 days and their family members had a quarantine for 10, 15 days. And so therefore they lost and their families lost time in their lives. Either way, they messed up the lives of Utahns by intentionally allowing a test to be used that they knew was an inaccurate test and that they intentionally pushed the FDA and our local health officials to pass uh, in this cronyism uh, to, for one of their financial beneficiaries that uh, supported their campaign. And uh, I believe also from my understanding, help line their pockets uh, in different ways. So anyway, and I also don't think this is the only one. I think there's other ones that they're looking into, but let's not let this uh, investigation, this uh, securities and exchange investigate. I think that's who's doing the investigation right now, this federal investigation. But there should be a state investigation on this, on the risk that they put Utahns through. And um, what they said was this uh, deadly uh, virus. And I do believe it was deadly, but uh, the amount of... Um, closing down of our businesses, making us wear a mask, not allowing us to worship at our churches. And yet they allowed a faulty test to be used to line the pockets of one of their donors. So let's hold them accountable um, by making sure that uh, this investigation goes all the way and anyone who's connected to it, including our governor and our Senator Mitt Romney are held accountable for their part in pushing this and in this no big contract. And uh, turns out that Governor Huntsman was right in his gut instinct. Of course, you know, he'd probably know because his family has the Huntsman Institute. So he'd probably had heard that the health officials were being pushed in this way to accept this faulty test. And um, so anyway, let's make sure that we're holding our state officials accountable, at least here in the state of Utah. Let's make sure that we have a one judicial system that fits all. I don't have total confidence in that, but I think as we as uh, individuals in the state of Utah, as citizens of the state, if we all push hard enough that we can make sure that we have accountability for our local officials here. So tomorrow, make sure I have Shell Black coming back on tomorrow on the Path Forward Utah. We'll be talking about some different issues impacting 
the radical LGBT community and how we're going to move forward with uh, challenging them. And then on Wednesday, Dr. Marcy will be back. I'm not sure what she's talking about this week, but it's always fantastic. So we'll be back tomorrow on the Path Forward Utah. And don't forget when you're in Ogden, Utah, to stop by Brixton's Baked Potato for the best baked potato you've had. And also check us out on TrumpTater.com. I haven't decided what I'm going to do with the Trump Tater, but I think he may be in a few parades. I'll let you know when he's going to be out there, maybe on uh, July 24th in here in Ogden for our uh, Pioneer Parade. I think he's going to be in that. So we'll keep you updated when the Trump Tater is going to be out there this summer. Again, uh, join us tomorrow on the Pathboard Utah with Shell Black.